Hello and welcome to Inside Maine, although today we should call it Inside the Arctic. This is Angus King, and we're talking today about the emerging Arctic, the melting of the ice, and what that means for our country in terms of trade, in terms of energy, in terms of national security. And my first guest is a good friend, my friend, the Senator from Alaska, Dan Sullivan. And Dan and I are both on the Armed Services Committee, and we're sort of the guys who always raise Arctic issues when we're talking to the military. In fact, Dan, this morning you made a very passionate statement about the strategic importance of the Arctic and the fact that we're sort of losing our memory of how to operate in cold climates. Talk to me about that. Well, uh, first, Angus, let me uh, thank you for the invitation to be on your show. And uh, to all your constituents, I want to tell you, you got to Great senator who does great work for all of you and a good friend of mine and really, really well-respected leader in the Senate. Uh, You mentioned the Armed Services Committee where you and I both serve. So we had today the chief of naval operations up for his confirmation hearing. And as I mentioned in the hearing, you know, you and I raise these Arctic issues a lot with our senior military. There's times when I think they view them as uh, serious. There's other times I think they view them as a little bit parochial. So what I wanted to do today in the hearing with the new CNO, Chief of Naval Operations, for his confirmation was to say, hey, look, these are important issues way beyond the importance to Alaska or the importance to Maine because the U.S. military, the Navy in particular, has a long tradition, particularly during World War II. I mentioned the Murmansk runs from Scotland and Great Britain to Russia, Soviet Union to supply lend-lease materials that were very dangerous. I actually had a great uncle who did those. He was in the Navy at the time. But we had this capability in the military, in the Navy, to operate in Arctic climes, whether it's the sea or the sky or on the ground. And I think we've lost it. And if you look at some of our challenges, particularly countries like China or Russia or North Korea, You know, if we have future conflicts, they're likely going to be in cold places, places with mountains. And I think our military needs to be able to get that capability back. You know, it's funny you mentioned China because the Arctic Council, which is sort of a, I don't want to say a mini UN, but it's an international body that talks about and deals with Arctic issues, not security, by the way. But China now asserts that they are a near Arctic country, which is you know, that's like saying I'm a near NFL quarterback. I mean, they're nowhere <laughs> near the Arctic. But that shows the strategic value of, of this body of water. The Bering Strait has got to be one of the most uh, strategic places on Earth. And and now with the opening of the Arctic Ocean, drastic melting of the ice, it's a whole new world that's now available for good or ill, I think, in terms of, of world history. Well, I think you're exactly right. And the, the Chinese interest, the Chinese presence in the Arctic is really, I think, a strong indication of exactly what you're talking about, what you and I have been raising on the committee, which is this is a, a very strategic area for the world, for America. America is an Arctic nation. We don't always recognize that. We certainly do in Alaska. We're an Arctic nation because of Alaska. But the interest, whether it's commercial shipping, natural resources, protecting the environment. And as I like to remind people, people, right, who happen to be my constituents. I had a very early on in my tenure, four and a half years ago, I had a senior military officer who was not really moved on the importance of the Arctic. And he literally looked at me and said, you know what, Senator, the other thing is there's nobody up there. And I happen to say, 
with all due respect, Admiral, there's a lot of people up there. They happen to be my constituents right. and great Americans. So the interests are strong, but as you mentioned, the fact that the Chinese are in the Arctic in a big way, they've even put out their polar Silk Road strategy. They have a new yeah. icebreaker called the Ice Dragon. They are... They're looking to be there for the long term. Well, and I should mention my initial interest in this was because as the Arctic Ocean opens up, it's considerably closer to Asia, to the east coast of the U.S. coming over the top than going through the Panama Canal. And the first ports that you come to in the United States after going through the Northwest Passage or the Northern Route are in Maine. And so that's that sort of started my interest. And then I went up there, uh, went under the ice in a submarine in a uh, an attack, uh, a Virginia-class attack submarine, and have been up several times to various places, Baffin Island. And what I said the other day to someone is the melting of the ice in the in the Arctic is like the discovery of the Mediterranean Sea. It's a huge strategic body of water that's basically been unavailable to humans in all of human history that's now now there for transport, as you say. And of course, you meant we were talking about China. Russia has thousands of miles of, of shoreline on the Arctic Ocean. Correct. And what they're doing is they've recognized the importance. As you know, they have uh, 40 icebreakers. They're building 14 more, some of which are and nuclear And Senator powered. Sullivan, how many do we, we have? We have two and one is broken. <laughs> yeah, I usually say we have one and a half. <laughs> yeah, one and a half, two, one is broken. Now, we're laughing about it, but it's actually a serious issue. It's very serious. And we're finally, again, thanks to your leadership, there's a strong bipartisan awakening in the Congress on the need to up our game in terms of assets like icebreakers, infrastructure, but we're way behind. And uh, the Russians, as you recognize, you know, Vladimir Putin has said that he sees the passage above uh, Russia as the new Suez Canal. And Russia is going to own it. Now, I'm taking Vladimir Putin at his word on that one. If there's uh, dramatic increases in shipping, which we're starting to see from Europe to Asia via the Arctic, we don't want the Russians to be owning that. And I think it's in our interest, all of our interest, to make sure we have the capability to compete in that part of the world. Do you think we've got the Chinese, the Russians, of course, the Scandinavians, and you mentioned the indigenous people that are up there, and that's... We can't forget that. I mean, their lives are being affected dramatically by the melting and the changes. I mean, that's a that's a big issue, I assume, in Alaska. Oh, it's a huge issue. I, I just spent last weekend up in Barrow, Alaska. Ukiavik is the native name. I think Barrow is where I went to when we took off over the ice to, to meet the submarine. Correct. And that is literally the top of the world. That's, Dead horse aviation, I think. That's the highest point in North America in terms of any place. So Point Barrow, which is very famous, but they care a lot about what's happening there, of course. I was actually with a group of amazing Americans. This is our uh, whaling captains. So in under the Marine Mammal Protection Act and the International Whaling Convention, the Inupiat native people of Alaska are still allowed to have a subsistence harvest, which is what they use literally to eat. Um, which they've been they've doing been for what? Thousands of years. Yeah. Literally. And so I was up there for the convention that they have. It's about once every five years to see the uh, meet all of our whaling captains in the different communities on the north slope of Alaska. But they were very concerned about 
the lack of resources, also uh, the pollution, another issue that you and I have worked together on that we've made good bipartisan progress on in the Congress is a bill that I had passed last year, the Save Our Seas Act, which is focused on ocean pollution, plastics, and how we clean that up and get to the source of the problem. Well, that's going to be one of the issues because there's energy up there as well. Correct. And a lot of energy. We have to figure out if that's going to be part of the part of the development, how to do it safely. Correct. And uh, we've got a, a lab in Maine, as a matter of fact, that's working on the difference in an oil spill in cold water versus someplace like the Gulf. And there are different properties, and 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 those are the kinds of that's the kind of research that we need. Well, we certainly do need that, and. The reason that you see Russia and China and other countries moving up into the Arctic is in part because of the mass quantities of resources that are there. And, uh, you know, from my perspective, we have a capability, the United States develops those kind of resources in a much more environmentally responsible way than any of the other countries I just named. So it's important to be able to make sure we're doing that with the highest standards Right. Certainly, that's what my constituents in Alaska expect and get. Well, we, we were talking about icebreakers, and I think we should mention through a lot of agitation and, and insistence, there's a new icebreaker being built. There is. That's the good news. The bad news is it will be finished about the time the one that we have dies, so it's really not a new icebreaker. It's simply a replacement. We're Correct. still way behind in terms of, I mean, icebre- an icebreaker is the highway of the Arctic. Well, that is a great phrase that you used. It was in a hearing where you said the icebreakers are the highways of the Arctic. Uh, Russia has superhighways, and the United States has dirt roads with potholes. <laughs> and I have stolen that no, and used that and Angus King statement many times. It's a, no, it's a great one. It's very in, in, our, in our business, there's no copyright on, on uh, those kinds of things. <laughs> but, um, you know, on the Armed Services Committee last year, we got the authorization in the defense bill for six uh, polar class icebreakers, which is progress. As you mentioned, we're f- finally building, literally building. We appropriated the money for a new polar class icebreaker. But here's the challenge. When I first talked to the Coast Guard about how long it would take to do that, we haven't built a new icebreaker in 40 years. They said it would cost a billion dollars and take 10 years. My response was, Look, we put a man on the moon in 10 years. We can't build an icebreaker. So I think we do need to get a sense of urgency on all of these capabilities. But the good news is we're starting to see that. And I think the price has come down, by the way. The price has come down, and it's come down in part because uh, we've pressed them, all of us, in the Congress. But when you're able to say, all right, right, you're likely going to be able to build six, not just one, you know, those economies of scales help to bring the price down as well. You must be seeing really significant changes in Alaska in terms of of the ice coming out. I think one of the figures is, I just saw recently, two-thirds of the Arctic, the volume of the Arctic ice has disappeared in the last 30 years. Yeah, there's no doubt that we see the effects of changing climate, particularly with regard to sea ice Mm -hmm. in Alaska. You know, we always have challenges. There were some stories this summer about forest fires. We have huge forest fires and have been having them for decades. But there's definitely changes happening. And my view is we need to be prepared to address them. There'll be challenges, but there's also opportunities. And I think that's where we need to focus on both of those. 
do you sense that there's a, that you and I aren't the and and I should mention Lisa Mikowski. I have a great story about her. I was following her into the Senate chamber. I'd been here a year or two, and I said, uh, Lisa, I. I want to be the Arctic senator. And she turned to me and said, no, Angus, you can be the assistant Arctic senator. So we have to give Lisa credit. Oh, absolutely. Uh, your your, your uh, colleague. A good friend and colleague. Yeah. Uh, because she's really uh, grabbed onto this issue as well. Do you, do you think we're gaining any ground? Are we gaining? Is yes. it just the three of us? Or no, are we still... I think, it, look, you're right about Lisa. She's been doing a great job on this. I will say this. Uh, I think for many years, she may have been a bit of a lonely voice in the wilderness talking about these issues. What I've been able to see, which is very promising, particularly on armed services and even on the armed services committee, and even today we marked up on the Commerce Committee, the Coast Guard bill. And the chairman of that is Roger Wicker from Mississippi. The ranking member is Maria Cantwell from Washington State. And their comments were all about the Arctic today when we were talking about the Coast Guard bill, because there's a number of provisions in it But I would say in my four and a half years in the Senate, I've seen a huge change, a sea change Good, with regard to Democrats, Republicans, senators, congressmen and women. Independents. Excuse me, (laughs) independents. (laughs) Yes, but led by your senator, Angus King, certainly, that it's becoming much more bipartisan and a much more kind of high-level topic. And so I think that's progress. Well, I'll tell you what, before we close out, I want to invite you to Maine. And uh, one of my sisters has a place in Maine with her husband, so I got to get up. We'll we'll have you get up there. I think you met her at a. She left you a note. I did. I did. I met her. I met her at a a book (laughs) signing. I I walked in and there was this note, and uh, I said, "Holy smoke, Alaska, all the way out here." There you go. Uh, Yeah. And uh, I'll definitely come and and uh, I have spent some time in Alaska. It's just absolutely unbelievable. Yeah. Well, you and I were up there in Fairbanks looking at the missile defense that one trip. So I, I I look forward to getting you back up there and continuing to positive bipartisan work on on these issues. My favorite way to grasp Alaska, somebody told me if you saw a million acres of Alaska a day, it would take you a year to see the whole state. My favorite way to talk about (laughs) it here is with my Texas colleagues, Senator Cornyn and Senator Cruz, and I always remind them that if you split Alaska in half, then Texas would be the third largest state in the country. (laughs) (laughs) The Texans don't like that so much, but it's true, right? We're almost three times the size of Texas. Poor little Texas. Yeah, poor little Texas. Well, listen, uh, Senator Sullivan, thank you so much for the time. Thank you for the work on on this important issue, and we're going to keep at it. Absolutely, Angus. Thank you, and appreciate all the opportunities to work with you. Good. Stay tuned with us on Inside Maine. We're going to talk to Dana Eidness up in Maine about her work on the Arctic and Arctic issues. This is something that's important to our state and important to the country as well. Stay with us. Welcome back to Inside Maine, or should I say Inside the Arctic today. What else would you talk about but the Arctic on a beautiful August day in Maine? We just talked to Senator Dan Sullivan of Alaska, who, along with Lisa Murkowski, his colleague, are really leaders on the Arctic issue here in the Senate. And now we have Dana Eidness, who is at the Maine International Trade Center and is also the leader, I don't know what your title is, Dana, director of the Maine North Atlantic Development Office. And really, Dana, we're 
works full-time on our relationships uh, to Northern Europe, to Iceland, and uh, Arctic issues. Dana, welcome, and thanks for joining us. Thanks, Senator King. Well, tell me about what's going on. Uh, You heard my conversation with Senator Sullivan. Uh, Tell me what's going on from the point of view of uh, someone on the ground in Maine. Well, what we're working on right now is putting together a group to go to the Arctic Circle Assembly in Reykjavik in October. Oh, I've been there a couple of times. That's a great meeting. Yeah, absolutely. So this year, October 10th through 13th, there'll be um, another Arctic Circle Assembly. It's an annual event. It's probably the largest annual international gathering on the Arctic. And my organization, Monado, has been taking groups of Mainers there for, gosh, I think this will be the sixth year that we've done it. And as I recall, when I was there, there were over 1,000 people. I mean, it's a very large group. It is, yeah. There's over 2,000 participants at this point, I think representing over 60 countries. Wow. And interestingly, Maine usually has one of the larger delegations at the event. We usually have between 40 and 50 people with us, and a lot of our participants are running breakout sessions and workshops during the event. So it's a great opportunity to showcase our expertise here in the state. Well, why should Maine care about the Arctic? Thinking back on kind of the origins of my organization, Monado came about back in 2013, shortly after the Icelandic shipping company Aimskip moved its U.S. headquarters from Norfolk, Virginia, up to Portland. And they made a significant investment in the Port of Portland. And since then, Maine Port Authority has made some significant investments and brought rail up to the port. But with this investment, we now have container service between Maine and points throughout the North Atlantic and High North, which for Mainers, I think, was a real paradigm shift. I think we've always had sort of a North Atlantic identity, but seeing these vessels leave Portland every week heading for Reykjavik, in some cases all the way up to Murmansk, Russia, we're no longer the end of the line. We see ourselves as very much being a hub to the North Atlantic and Arctic region. Well, one of the figures I saw was that trade now with Iceland and, and particularly with Northern Europe is 350 to $400 million a year. That's a big number. It's a big number. And I know with Aimskip moving here, I mean, I think that they had a, a long-term vision for getting to weekly service. And earlier this year, they moved to weekly service out of Portland three years ahead of schedule. So they're seeing a real uptick in their throughput, which is significant. And I take it trade is your uh, particular focus, but just talk to me about generally what you've seen. You've been involved since 13, six years ago. The level of interest, the level of engagement, the level of trade, all of that is uh, significantly on the upswing, isn't it? Definitely. You know, I, I work on increasing trade, investment, and collaborative activity between Maine and the region. And the collaborative activity can be anything from academic exchanges to putting R&D folks together to I've been working with the Portland Museum of Art. They're looking to have a a North Atlantic biennial, or triennial, actually, that they're putting together that will begin in a year or two, where they'll feature Maine artists and artists from throughout the region and up into the Arctic. And that show will, uh, it'll move from Portland to Stockholm to Reykjavik, and I believe they've partnered with a museum in Norway as well, uh, which is exciting. Well, now, UNE has an, an initiative involving the Arctic. What's that all about? Yeah, so University of New England has opened uh, what they've called a, a UNE North campus on Forest Avenue, and they are focused on all things North Atlantic and Arctic. And in fact, I think there's a group of students from their professional science master's program in ocean food systems over in Iceland right now. 
So through that program, they've developed relationships with at least a couple of universities in Iceland. Um, I know Dr. Barry Costa-Pierce, who's heading that program, has um, some relationships over in Sweden, and they're looking to partner with schools in Norway as well. So, you know, these will be both faculty and student exchanges, and we hope to see some research collaboration as well, especially around aquaculture and fisheries. Well, and really all this is in the context of climate change. I mean, that's, uh, as I was talking to Dan Sullivan, two-thirds of the ice in the Arctic Ocean has melted in the last 35 years. That's extraordinary. This is a body of water that's never been open to human use uh, in human history. And all of a sudden, we've got this new ocean up there and all kinds of potential. Of course, trade is part of it, but energy, uh, tourism, even there was a cruise ship that went through the the, uh, Arctic Ocean. Crystal Serenity, yeah. Yeah, And and it ended up in Bar Harbor, as I recall. Right. So uh, all of those things, do you see economic opportunity for Maine in all of these, in this Arctic uh, development? I do, um, and, and on a lot of different levels. I mean, we've been engaging with Greenland um, for a number of years now, trying to figure out how we can do business with Greenland because of the Greenland ice sheet receding and a lot of other reasons. I mean, there are people living in, in Greenland and uh, wanting to develop their economy there. There's some infrastructure opportunities. You know, Nuke just built a brand-new container port, but they're also looking to build things like 5,000 new units of housing. Uh, They're looking to build a national stadium and museum, new schools. Uh, There's going to be a new retail environment in downtown Nuke at some point, uh, all under a a project called the Nuke City Development Project. Nuke is the capital of Greenland. Nuke is the capital of Greenland, N-U-U-K, yeah. But it's the largest island in the world, and they need to import pretty much everything that they use there. So we've been looking at Greenland as possibly being a supply chain partner to some of the infrastructure development activity going on there. It's a lot more complex than that because they're still part of the uh, Kingdom of Denmark. Uh, most of their distribution channels are through Denmark. Well, we've got to fix that. I mean, we're a lot closer. Yeah, we've got to figure it out. And I know that Aimskip has partnered with Royal Arctic Line out of Greenland to um, build a couple of vessels together, but we're looking at potentially having service between Portland and Nuke Greenland in the next year. So I've been pretty focused on figuring out how we can do business with Greenland and, and fill those vessels. Well, it's it's a fast. Greenland is a fascinating place because it's it's in some ways it's ground zero of climate change. The uh, Jakobshavn glacier is one of the fastest melting glaciers in the world. When I saw it, it had retreated as much in ten years as it had the previous hundred and ten years. Wow. And good news for the Greenlanders: the ice sheet is receding, which means they have more land that they can grow things on and raise animals. But the bad news is that a lot of their people are losing their way of life. They can't do the hunting and fishing that they once did. They can't traverse the ice to get from one place to the other. It's a, it's one of the fastest changing places on Earth, and I think having that relationship could be very important for Maine. Yeah, I think so. Now, it seems to me that a lot of what you're talking about is collaboration between us and Iceland, Greenland, some of the other Nordic countries. Uh, do you find 
people in those countries are receptive to working with us, with working with Maine? Is this something that they're they're interested in? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I think the most important thing that I do is bring back and share models of success with Mainers. I mean, the, the trade development is important, but looking at Finland and saying, how did Finland transform its forest industry into a thriving bioeconomy? You know, we'd like to do the same thing here. Finland is the most forested nation in Europe, and Maine is the most forested state in America, and there clearly are things that we could teach yeah, one another. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, 11 years or so ago, Finland was in a very similar situation as Maine is now. They saw mill closures. They saw the rise of the digital economy. There was a shift from printing magazines and newspapers to um, making more packaging and tissue and that sort of thing. But what they did beyond that was they really took a good look at what they were good at, which was pulp making, and said, you know, what can we do with the residuals from this pulp making process? We're still going to make a lot of pulp. But what can we do with what's left over? And they've successfully, well, they've invested in processes and and R&D and biorefinery facilities and whatnot, but they're now making things like advanced building materials, textiles, food additives, medical devices, all using these extracts from the wood pulping process, which is really fascinating. And those things are starting to happen here. As yep. you know, I, I was just up at Orno on Monday and, you know, talking about offshore wind, but also talking about the, the bio work that they're doing using, uh, what really fascinates me is using wood-based products for 3D printing. And by the way, Orno, as of October, is going to have the largest 3D printer in the world. Wow. Uh, will be big enough to print boat molds. I mean, that's uh, pretty amazing. And there's a new company that's going into the Madison paper mill making insulation out of wood products. Yeah, it's, it's actually... So a lot of that kind of innovation, if if we're going to thrive, we've got to innovate. Right. You know, I, I think that you know the best possible outcome of what I do in the context of this sort of collaboration is really developing the relationships with folks who are going through the same thing or perhaps are more advanced and having it result in collaboration towards common goals. I think the business and investment will follow. But in the case of Finland, you know, as you know, we, we had um, Finland's Minister of Forestry and Agriculture in Maine for Trade Day this year, um, and you got to meet with her over breakfast, I think. But since trade day, there's been a growing interest between Finland and Maine to develop some sort of economic agreement where we would commit to working together to build our forest bioeconomies. Um, they saw value in, in what we have to offer here in Maine, and, and likewise, there's a lot we can learn from them. So, um, you know, I'll be working on that with Finland, and also, you know, we have a similar agreement with Iceland um, that's focused on a lot of things, but one of them is, you know, their ocean cluster activity, how they transform their fishery by focusing on full utilization of codfish, for instance. So replicating this in different markets, I think, is really going to have some successes in the short term. I saw a jacket in uh, Iceland made from uh, salmon skin. I don't think I really would want one, but... Uh, <laughs> You know, that's talking about using all all of the fish. But I got you mentioned Trade Day. I was amazed. I mean, I remember when Trade Day started and we'd have 40 or 50 people in a room and there must have been seven or 800 uh, this year. Uh, it's really grown. And I, you know, the whole deal is that 
only 5% of the world's population is, lives in North America. That means 95% of the market is somewhere else. And that's where we get to the, the really great work that you're doing and the uh, and the Trade Center is doing. Absolutely. You do you see significant growth? Are we headed into a positive upward trend? In, in trade overall or within the region? I, in trade yeah. overall, but also in the North Atlantic. Yeah, I think definitely in the North Atlantic. You know, as I said, we can see it in the Port of Portland with the increase in throughput out of the Port of Portland um, with shipments going over to um, to Reykjavik as the hub before um, going off to other places. And I know that Aimskip has partnered with a French shipping company that can connect us to Asia via Rotterdam. So I think right now, I mean, this doesn't even have to do with melting sea ice or, or new um, passages opening up. The opportunity we have right now is before us. Um, and I think companies are, are taking more and more advantage of that. Well, opportunity is where we're going to have to leave it. We're running out of time. But, you know, it's, it's ironic that we're talking about this kind of involvement of Maine in trade, which is exactly where Maine was in the 1800s with the clipper ships. And we were a trading state, and that's now coming back, due in large measure to work of uh, yourself and others. So, uh, Dana Eisness, thank you so much for what you're doing, and thanks for joining me today on Inside Maine. Thanks, Senator King. Take care. Thanks again for joining us on Inside Maine. Thanks to Dan Sullivan, Senator from Alaska, and Dana Eisness, who is at the Maine North Atlantic Development Office working on issues of the Arctic. So, August in Maine, but we're thinking about trade, we're thinking about business opportunities, we're thinking about growth of our economy, And uh, this is a new opportunity and something that I think Maine is well positioned to take advantage of. Thank you very much for joining us, and we'll see you next time on Inside Maine.